Good morning again. Good to see you all here this morning. It's good to see some, I was going to say old faces, but they're not old. They're actually young faces compared to mine, but old friends that we haven't seen for a very long time. Uh, so Simon and Tegan, welcome to, to uh, church again. It has been, I mean, Simon and Tegan were members of our church. How long ago has it, has it been now? Nine years, wow. And they decided to leave Melbourne and travel north to Grafton, right? And so you guys have been in Grafton, so yeah, it's lovely to see you again. We'll spend a bit of time after church. And also, we have another special uh, uh, visitor. Well, hopefully not a visitor, but maybe he'll be here for, uh, for permanent. That's LJ from, all the way from Vietnam. And that's a bit of a reunion as well, because um, LJ is from the same church as May. Okay, so they've come from the same church, and LJ's actually ended up in Melbourne too, studying here. So good to see you, and uh, yeah, wonderful the way God works. All right, it was good to be sharing God's word with you again. I hope you've, you're all doing well. Looking forward to uh, learning some new things about the Lord. So let's turn to John chapter 8, Gospel of John chapter 8, and we'll read from verses 19 to 30 as we continue our look at this topic of Jesus the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 19. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Let's, uh, let's commit this time to the Lord. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious time that we can look into your word and grow through it. Father, we pray that our eyes would be opened, our ears would be opened, our hearts would be ready to receive that which you have for us. I pray that your spirit would be working within our hearts even now, drawing us closer to yourself and revealing your truth to us. Help us, Father, to apply these truths and to live by them. We thank you so much that we have this word that you have preserved for us over all these years. And I pray that we would honour your words 
and in turn honour you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at this topic. Jesus making this declaration about himself that he is the light of the world. And we're looking at the response that Jesus got from that. And we're looking at, last week we looked at that there are many people in this world that despite all the evidence, and so the evidence may be overwhelming, will refuse to believe something because in their minds and in their hearts, they have already determined that thing cannot possibly be true. So they close their ears and they close their eyes from actually being able to even see any evidence contrary to their position. And so Jesus makes this claim that he was a lot of the world and they did not want to accept that. Last week we looked at the evidence or the bearing record and how many times people bore witness of Jesus and even that the miracles that he did were bearing witness as to who he was and still, despite all that evidence, they couldn't accept it. And today, we're looking at another topic, another thing they couldn't, they, they could not accept because it was so overwhelming to them. It was so outside of their way of thinking that they just could not get their head around it. You know, for those of you who share the gospel, um, and coming from a like a religious background myself, and coming from a Catholic background, it was such a hurdle for me to actually get my head around the fact that salvation was a gift and not something I had to work for. It took a long time. I mean, God had to work on this stubborn Calabrian head for at least 10 years. Okay, For me to grasp this truth about the gospel, which was salvation can just be given to you like a gift and you don't have to earn it. And even though you don't deserve it, God's actually offering it to you. And all you have to do is say thank you. Now, that was just too hard to grasp. And so for a long time, I had to resist that. And even to the point where um, I got to the stage where I believed everything about Jesus. I believed that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. I believe he rose on the third day. I believe he was a son of God. I believe all the stuff. He walked on water, that he healed lepers, he rose people from the dead. I believed all that. And even at that particular point where I was about, where I was on the, that verge of taking that step across that line, I still, for the last three months of my life, of that life, had to try to prove myself to God first. I had to try to actually work my way into heaven to prove that I was worthy until God showed me that I'm not worthy and I can't work my way there. Okay? So God taught me a valuable lesson there. And so in our culture... People who have any religious background struggle with the notion that salvation is by grace through faith and it's a gift of God, not of works. Because when you've been thinking like that for your entire life, it's hard to even imagine how it could be otherwise. And here we have a situation where Jesus has you know, made this proclamation about himself, I'm the light of the world. You know, If someone else said that, you'd say, well, who do you think you are? But that's exactly what they said to him. Well, who do you actually think you are making that sort of claim about yourself? And today they're going to re reject or they're going to push back on something he was obviously saying because they just couldn't wrap their heads around it. And so it starts with this particular question that they asked him. This pushback starts with a question. 
John 8, 19 says, they said unto, Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? And Jesus answered, You, know, you, know, you neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. So there's a, there's a common theme throughout the whole Gospel of John, that Jesus where Jesus is teaching that knowing him means to know the father. Go to John chapter 14 with me just for a moment. Because this is not the only place where Jesus teaches this particular thing. John 14 verse 7, 8 and 9 says once again, If you had known me, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And that that'll be enough. Just show us the Father. You know, he was waiting for the, you know, for Jesus to say, "All right, let's. I'll, I'll open up the curtains so you can see God on His throne." That's what he was asking for. And so Philip says, "Well, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And we'll, you know, we don't we don't need to see any more than that." And Jesus' response in verse nine is, "Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you?" And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? You know, you've no doubt heard the phrases or these sayings, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Sometimes we use that in a bit of a derogatory term, you know, as a derogatory thing saying, oh, look, you know, the son is like the dad. You know, he's picked up all the bad habits that the father has, or he's just like his dad. Um, the, other, the other way... Um, people tend to say it is like father like son but in jesus case is actually perfectly true perfect because when you saw him when you heard him when you saw what he did he was actually the the perfect representation of the father he represented he was like father like son perfect and so when G, when philip asked well show us the father he says, well, hang on a sec, I've been with you all this time. Don't you recognize that I'm the same? Turn to Hebrews chapter 1 with me. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Hebrews 1, 1 says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Okay, so God sends his prophets into the world and we've got like a whole Old Testament that shows us that, that all those prophets that recorded all their words, that God had sent them into the world with a particular message, um, is what God, the system that God used. But now it says, hath, in verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Okay, so instead of sending more prophets, he's the final one to come into this world, sent by God, is his own son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being, now listen carefully his words, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand 
of the majesty on high. You know, I've, I've shared this with you before. How many thrones are there in heaven? There's one. There's only one throne. And when the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father, people Im immediately get this image of God the Father sitting on the middle throne and then to the right of him, another throne, right, where Jesus sits. The Bible doesn't say there are multiple thrones. The Bible says there is one throne. And in the midst of that throne is God and the Lamb. Now, God doesn't share his throne with anyone, does he? God, in fact, will not share his glory with anyone else. And God has shown us through his word, his character. He tells us about himself through the Bible. So when Jesus says to them, you neither know me nor know my father, right? He's saying to them, well, mate, you've, you've, you've had the words of God. You've, you should know his character by now. You should understand what he's like. You should under and if you understand what he's like, when you see me and hear me, you should automatically recognize who I am. You can, you can come to know the character of God and come to know God through the word of God. And that's not just in the New Testament, that's in the Old Testament. Hosea 6.6 6 says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. How do you get the knowledge of God? You get the knowledge of God through his word. So Jesus is clearly saying that if they truly known God, if they truly recognized what, who God is like and his character, they should have immediately have recognized him as coming from God. And so in verse 20 of John chapter 8, it says, These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. So, you know, Jesus is teaching in the temple. Talk about, you know, um, being on enemy territory. Okay. He's gone into the mouth of the lion's den. He's right in the middle of it. Okay. It was more dangerous for him teaching in the temple than it was for Daniel in that lion's den. Because these people around him wanted to kill him. They hated him. A lion doesn't kill you because he hates you. He may want to eat you. Okay, you might look like a uh, like those cartoons as I was growing up that would see a character and then they'd look like a, a chicken drumstick or something like that in their mind and they'd get hungry and they'd want to eat them. Now they wanted to kill Jesus. And the Bible says that, but no man laid hands on him. And he was... The more he was teaching there, the more they were getting upset because they didn't want anyone stepping on their turf. They didn't want anyone causing disruption and ruining the beautiful system that they had organized. I mean, they were in full control here. You know, it was no one who was threatening them except for this guy who's going around saying that God's his father. How dare he come into our church and start teaching this particular stuff. He surely can't be from God. And so they're thinking of ways to kill him. But the Bible says here, no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. And what's his hour? What does that mean? Well, the very reason he came into the world. You see, he came into the world to die on a cross. He came into the world to rise on that third day. That was his purpose for coming. It meant that his hour of his betrayal his crucifixion, 
his suffering, his burial, and his resurrection hadn't come, hadn't arrived yet. And it was not, they were not going to kill him any other way because God had ordained it to be this way. It was his destiny to die this way. And so that's when he says to them in verse 21 and 22, then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. That's where I go. You can't come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he saith, whether I go, you cannot come. You know, when Jesus came to this earth, when he was born in that stable, you know, to, to Mary in Bethlehem, he was always going to go his way. Okay. His death was on his terms. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I give it. It's his choice. The way he would die and the reason he would die. So Jesus would always go his way. And his way would always be the cross. His way would always be to rise on that third day. His way would always be to ascend back to where he was before he came to this world. Sitting at the right hand of the majesty. When he said that he was from above and they were from below, he was saying, well, that's where my real home is. That's eventually when I'm going to go back. And he says to them, you're going to die in your sins because they would reject him. And they would reject, therefore, the only way for their sins to be cleansed. To die in your sins means to have to pay for the penalty of your sins. And the only penalty that a person can pay for their sins is an eternity in hell. Eternally separated from God. The core of the gospel message is this. To die in your sins means to die in the same state that you were born. We are all born with a lethal disease, the Bible says. Okay, a lethal disease that has a 100% kill rate. Now, COVID might have had a 2% kill rate or 1% kill rate. This has got 100% kill rate. Everyone who, is, who has this disease dies. And doesn't just die physically, which we all do, and that's guaranteed, and that's also because of this disease, but you die eternally. And you end up, and we end up succumbing to this disease at a very early age. You see, there's a tendency that we have within us called our fallen nature to always want to go that way to go towards sin. We are, we are like attracted to it, like a, bee, like a bee to flowers. And eventually, you may even not like it, but you'll eventually go there. And so if the Bible says, from, even from an early age, we succumb to this disease. And eventually we start to sin. And then it becomes a habit within us. And eventually we die and have to pay the consequences of it. I'm not talking about a physical disease such as cancer, although cancer is probably a good picture of sin. Okay? We have a fallen nature. We have a, an inbuilt predisposition to sin and rebellion at, from a very young age. And we succumb to this sin. And ultimately, we all become accountable for this sin. Unless you accept the payment that God has made on your behalf. Look at verse 23. He says, and he said unto them, Ye are from beneath. I am from above. 
ye are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Did you notice that Jesus answered the question of where is your father in that phrase? He says, I'm from above. Okay, so that when the question they asked him was, where's your dad? Where, where is this father that you speak of? Jesus doesn't say, oh, my father is in heaven. He actually says, I'm from up there. So if he's from up there, if he's from above, he was saying, that's where my dad is. That's where my father is. He's from above. And there's only one way you could interpret that, that his father was in heaven. And Jesus kept saying, I'm not of this world. I'm not like you. You're from beneath. I'm from above. And so that's a hard thing to wrap your head around, isn't it? If you've got a hatred for this guy, and then he comes and says to you that he's from above, and you're from down, below, um, you're not going to want to accept that very easily, are you? You're going to look for a reason to say, no, he's not talking truth here. He's making up stuff. When Jesus says he was not of this world, not only was he saying that he's from heaven originally, what he's also saying is that he was not born into sin like we are. He, is not, he was not born with a fallen nature like we have. And, and the, the closest thing I can, I can sh uh, uh, line that up with is that the Bible speaks of him as the second Adam. You see, when God created Adam, he didn't create him with a fallen nature, did he? The fallen nature came later, after Adam fell. Okay, Adam had one temptation. Adam had one law to keep. And when he got tempted, okay, both he and his wife, they both fell into that thing and they sinned. All right? Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus wasn't born. Part of the reason that Jesus didn't have an earthly father is the fact that he could not be born with a fallen nature. He had to be born innocent again. You see, the spotless lamb of God is innocent, isn't it? And the only other innocent person to ever have existed, or the two people, were Adam and Eve. Ever since Adam and Eve, there is no more innocence. It, from the time they fell to every one of us who were born here, there is no more innocent here. Okay, Every one of us are not innocent, except Jesus. Jesus was born innocent. Now you might say, hang on a sec, but ha what, how did he get tempted? Exactly the same way Adam got tempted, and Eve. He got tempted not just with one temptation. If you recall, the devil not only drew him out to the wilderness, or he, uh, sorry, there was a spirit that brought him to the wilderness, the devil hammered him with temptations. And if you think that the devil stopped at the wilderness, tempting Jesus and trying to get him to fall, then you're sadly mistaken. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but in e at every time he said no. He never, ever failed. At every time, at every point in his life, he resisted the temptation. So that's the difference between Jesus and us, but by the same token, the same as us, because he is fully human like us. 
And so he had the same weaknesses as us. He had the same uh, ability to, to be tempted like we do, but yet he never failed. And then he lays this bombshell on them, right? So he says, I'm from above, you're from below. And if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Now, if you don't believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Well, I mean, was he the Messiah? Was he the Messiah? Yeah, he was the Messiah. Is he the Christ? Yes. He's a, is he the, a prophet from God? Well, yes, he's a prophet from God. Is he the rightful king of Israel? Yes, he's the rightful king of Israel. And I suppose the Jews were looking at him and saying, is this the one you know, that's meant to be coming, that's meant to be sitting on David's throne? Is this the one that God has promised us from day one? And so, yes, the answer is yes to all of those. But is that what Jesus is speaking about here? If you don't believe that I am he. No, it's not. All of those things are automatically true of him. But the thing he's saying here is, if you don't believe that I am God in the flesh, you will die in your sins. That's why he said, I am from above. My father is in heaven. And if you knew my father, he clearly was telling them, if you knew God, you would know me. When we look at this thing in hindsight, and because we already have the spirit of God, for us it looks like a no-brainer. You know what I mean? It's like a no-brainer. Obviously he's talking about his deity. But the Pharisees are still confused here. Because they're saying, they, they, they can't wrap their head around, is he, actually, is he really saying? Is this guy really saying that he's actually God? Can, can, is he really saying that? Because look at verse 25. And then said they unto him, who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. So it's like, I mean, who art thou? Who, who are you that you're speaking like this? And the response that Jesus gives, where he says, you know, the same I've been telling you from the beginning. Okay, it's sort of like, I'm that whole the foghorn leghorn thing. I'm sure who, who, who knows foghorn leghorn? Some of the older ones. Yeah, where he's saying, where he's trying to, he's trying to train up the young, the young chick. You know, and he's actually, it's actually a chicken hawk or something like that. And he's saying, you know, I'm. I'm pitching, but you ain't batting. I'm cutting, but you ain't bleeding, which means you're not getting what I'm saying. Okay? It's not getting through. And so Jesus' response is almost like that. I've been telling you this from the very beginning. And you can look at that phrase and think, and think, oh, yeah, it might just be a throwaway line. You know what I mean? The same I've been telling you from the beginning. Did Jesus really tell them from the beginning that he was God in the flesh? He actually did. So go back to go back to John chapter one with me, because it wasn't just him who was saying this thing; it was John the Baptist who prepared the way for him. Now this is the testimony of John the Baptist, John chapter one, verse twenty-two. So we're going back to the beginning, And these same guys have come up to John the Baptist. They're asking the same question. Look at, look at the question in verse 22. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? The same question they asked Jesus. Who, 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 who are you? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, 
I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees, same guys. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then? Why are you baptizing people if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. Well, how prophetic was that? They didn't know him, right? He's already standing among you. You don't. You haven't recognized him. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. Who shoe latchet, I am not worthy to unloose. Is this John the Baptist saying, this person... I'm not that person, but this person who's already standing among you, which we don't recognize, I am not worthy to even tie up his shoelaces. And it says in verse 28, These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. And the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him. So Jesus walking towards him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the word of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me. Look at the he finishes. For he was before me. What's John saying here? He's saying he's not worthy to tie his shoelaces. He's saying that he's, that he's preferred before him. He's saying that he was before him. What is John the Baptist saying about this person? Isn't he saying that he's from above? Isn't he pointing to his deity? Well, let's have a look. Because when he said that he was the, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, you know what he was doing? He was quoting, right? He was quoting Isaiah. And they would have been familiar with Isaiah. They would have been familiar with this actual passage, right? They, would, they had probably had it memorized. So turn back with me to where John was quoting from. And we'll see if there's any doubt about who John was saying he was preparing the way for. John chapter 40, verse 3. Sorry, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Sorry about that. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. So John is saying, I'm preparing the way for the one that's coming after me. And he's quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now, your Bible has all capitals for Lord, doesn't it? And you know what that means? That means that's the name of God there. Okay, that's Jehovah. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. When John the Baptist was quoting this, they knew very well what he was saying. He's saying, I'm preparing the way for this one who's coming. Who was he preparing the way for? 
Jehovah. All right. Well, that was John the Baptist. But Jesus said that he was telling them this from the beginning. Well, go back to or go to John chapter 2, verse 13 with me. John chapter 2, verse 13. Was Jesus really telling them these same guys that he was God in the flesh from the beginning? All right, so we're back in the temple again. And I want you to pay special attention to what Jesus calls this temple. Okay, this is the same temple he's preaching at, at the moment, right? In John chapter 8. John chapter 2 verse 13 says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And, the, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple, that's in church, right? Those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changes of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, in other words, he made a whip, all right? He drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, which means get these things out of here. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise or business. Now, who did the Jews build the temple for? Who was the owner of that temple? Who was that temple in honor of? God. And here Jesus comes in, gets rid of people that were making business in that temple, and he says, don't make my father's house a place of business. What was he saying? Who was he saying his father was? He was saying that was his dad's house. It doesn't take much intelligence to work out who he was saying his father was, but yet they couldn't accept it. This is back in John chapter 2. Now go to John chapter 5, verse 17. And we'll work our way back to John chapter 8. John chapter 5, verse 17. Did they know that he was saying that God was his father? Well... I think they did. John chapter 5, 17 says, But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, which means up till now, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. They already wanted to kill him, but now they wanted to kill him even more. Because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Had they not heard him say this before when they asked a question, who do you, who art thou? And he says, I've been, what I've been saying from the beginning. Okay. When you call God your own father and you're the only begotten son, well, that makes you something very special compared to everyone else. Did they understand what he meant? I think they did. I think they did. It just, but it just couldn't sink in. It just was not acceptable to him because you get to a, they got to a stage where not only did they, were they upset with him because he was calling himself the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, they were accusing him of breaking the Sabbath. Remember that guy with the bed? Remember he healed that guy and he was a cripple all his life, 30, 38 years, a cripple. And then he, Jesus comes to him and it was a Sabbath day and, and he says, pick up your bed and go home. And so the guy just picks up his bed after 38 years 
picks up his bed and starts walking back home. And so these guys see, hey, what's that guy walking over there for? I don't know where they were looking from. They were maybe looking from their windows or something. And they told him off. And they said, how dare you walk carrying beds on the Sabbath? You're not allowed to carry a bed on the Sabbath. And he goes, and they said, who told you to do this? And he goes, well, I don't know. I, the same guy that actually, you know, told me to get up. Huh? I don't know him. And they found out later it was Jesus. And they hated him for that. They, they missed the obvious thing that this Jesus had healed a leper, sorry, healed a cripple. And they were so focused on the bed. But then Jesus goes around saying, hang on a sec, I didn't break the law. You know what? That law is in honor of me. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The reason you rest on a Sabbath is because of me. I'm the one who created the world in six days. I'm the one who rested on the Sabbath. I'm the one who holds everything up by the word of his power. And that is the hard to swallow, isn't it? I mean, when they're looking at him, how dare you, you know, say that you are the same as God. Go to John chapter 5, verse 21. Let's go a few verses down. Jesus says here, For as the Father raiseth up the dead. So God is able to raise... I mean, that's praise God for that, right? So when we're, if we're dead and gone, God can actually raise you up again. Okay? For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth, which means give life to them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will... For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. And this is and get this, that all men should honour the Son even as they honour the Father. He that honoureth not the Son honoureth not the Father which hath sent him. So get this straight. He's talking to these guys, and he's telling them not only that he that he's uh, that he's made himself equal with God because he calls God his Father. But then he goes on to explain it even better. And he says, you know what? God can raise up the dead. So can I. Um, God is the judge of all men. But you know what? He's committed all the judgment to me now. I'm the judge of all mankind. And he says, um, all men should honor me just the same way they honor God. Was Jesus clearly teaching that he was the son of God and God walking in the flesh in this earth? 100% he was. He was claiming to be the same nature as the father, making himself God as well. So Jesus says, if you go to verse, go back to John chapter 8, verse 26. Had Jesus been telling them from the beginning? Yes, he was. He, he had told them from the beginning that he was the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, and in very nature the same as God. And so then he says in verse 26 of John chapter 8, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. See, still, there's this brick wall that's not coming down, Okay. But Jesus is telling them, I'm a perfectly obedient son. When you hear me speak, you're hearing him speak because I only speak the things that he's told me to speak and I do only the things that he's told me to do. 
And Jesus provides us with a perfect example of what it means to be an obedient child. Okay, You speak the things that he tells you to speak. You do the things that he tells you to do. And so when, and, and this is, and this is the challenge for us, you see, because as believers, the Bible says that God now lives within us. Okay, so Jesus lives within us. If you're a believer today, the Bible says the Holy Spirit dwells in you like a temple. And so the question now is, when people see you and me, when they hear you and me, when they watch what we do, what do they actually see? Do they see him? Or do they see us? And that's the big question for those of us who have already put our faith in Christ. Because our lives are meant to reflect. See, when Jesus says, when you see me, you see the, the Father, he was perfect in every way. Now, we're not perfect, but we do have God now living within us. And our, our goal in life is to be more and more like Jesus, is it not? And so when Jesus, when they see it, when the world sees us, they are meant to be seeing Jesus. So when they hear us speaking, they're meant to be hearing the words that he's told us to speak and living a life that he's told us to live. In a sense, we are meant to be living lives like him. And the challenge for us is to live that life and to not be swayed by this world. What, it is, what is it that God has told us to speak to this world? What, what is it that he's, that he's told us to say? Well, he's given us the gospel. The same gospel that's changed our lives, we are told to speak those words to this world. And not only is our speech meant to be a clear uh, message of the gospel everywhere we go, the good news that God you know, has sent his son into the world to save this miserable world, but that we have accepted him and we've found that to be true. And our lives also speak that same message. Our lives should be consistent with our words. And that's our biggest challenge in this world. Jesus' life perfectly matched what he said. He was perfect in every way, and God calls us to that. Right? It's a lofty goal for us, but still God calls us to that. And that's what we should be striving for each and every day. And so verse 28 then says, Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you shall know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. You know, I remember when I first became a Christian. And I, I was hearing sermons everywhere, okay? I was, whatever I could get my hands on, I'd go and grab it, okay? And I was hearing sermons, because I wasn't a Baptist back then. Okay? When I first became a Christian, I was a no-denominational sort of thing, and we were just having Bible studies in someone's house. Um, but we were being influenced by a range of different denominations. And I remember hearing a particular sermon about this particular thing, and uh, about verse 28. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, you shall know. Right? And I remember in that particular sermon and, and a common teaching among charismatic and Pentecostal churches was that that means when you lift up Jesus in worship, right? That when you lift up Jesus in worship, then you'll recognize him as the Son of God. Which sounds pretty good. I mean, it sounds good, doesn't it? When you're lifting up Jesus in worship, well, we do that. 
Okay, but I later found out that's actually not that's not what it's talking about here. Okay, I'm not talking about that at all. Um, it wasn't until later I realised that lifting up had nothing to do with worship. It had to do with the way he died. It had to do with being nailed to a cross and lifted up off the ground. Turn to John chapter 12 with me, which is the passage that was read for us this morning by Brother Praveen. Because that provides us with the definition as well. John 12, 27. Jesus is approaching the time of his betrayal and death, and this is a difficult time for him to, um, to, to reach. It's a culmination of why he came into the world. It says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. Yes, even Jesus was troubled. Okay. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world, the devil, be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Now what does it mean to lift up Jesus? Well, it means that they nailed him to a cross like a criminal and that they had to raise him up and he hung between heaven and the earth for all to see for all the angels to see for all the devils to see and for all of mankind to see and there were some who walked by and the Bible says that they shook their hands at him and they say, see, that's what happens to you when you do the wrong thing. And there were others who went to him and who were calling out and saying, oh, yeah, you, you saved and you healed so many people. Come on, save yourself now. And yet there were others who were crying. There were others who fled, who were his closest friends. They couldn't bear being there. Lift, being lifted up meant that Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to that cross and his blood shed for the atonement of our sins. It was the greatest act in the history of all mankind. There is no greater act of love than the cross. None whatsoever. There is no sacrifice. And Jesus says, you know, you know, greatest love is where a man gives his life, lays down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid his life down for us. But what makes it more loving what makes it more grand is that none of us deserved it <laughs> he actually did it he was perfect but yet he gave himself to people or for people that didn't deserve it not only didn't deserve it didn't care didn't care didn't understand didn't care and actually at the same time killed him and we're happy for him to die there. And it wasn't until later that people understood what he had done. And that's where Jesus says, I will draw men to myself. 
because it's only when you get to the cross and you realize what a miserable sinner you are and you realize that you can't save yourself and you realize you don't deserve to be saved is when you realize who he is and you realize the love that God has for you God was on that cross that day. The Son of God was on that cross, giving himself for the life of the world and paying for our sins, sins that we committed against him. That's what we preach. That is the gospel. And to conclude this point, there's a conversation that Jesus had with a guy called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is struggling to understand some things. And in John chapter 3, verse 12, Jesus says, If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Nicodemus couldn't understand the concept of being born again. He couldn't understand the concept that God has to raise you from the dead, that you are a dead person and God has to inject life into you. And the only way that that happens is that when he comes into you and grants you life, okay? It's when the Holy Spirit comes in, all of a sudden he makes us alive. He couldn't understand what, what that meant, that you had to be born again spiritually. And Jesus says, well, if you can't understand that, how are you going to understand if I start talking to you about what's going on up there? <laughs> it's impossible. But it's in the next verse that ties it all together. Look at John 3.13. John chapter 3, verse 12, Jesus says to Nicodemus, who was also a Pharisee, by the way, and he came to Jesus at night because he was a bit scared, okay? Didn't want to get, uh, you know, didn't want to put too many other people off, but he wanted to find out what was going on. And so Jesus says to him, I've told you earthly things and you believe not. How shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And look at verse 13 which is extraordinary. And he, Jesus says to Nicodemus, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Now, think about that just for a moment. Just, just try and wrap your head around that verse. No man has ever gone into heaven. And up to that stage, no man had entered heaven. None of the Old Testament saints had reached heaven. None. Doesn't matter who you were. Adam and Eve weren't there. Noah wasn't there. Abraham wasn't there. Moses wasn't there. None of the prophets were there. None of them were in heaven. And if you want to know where they were, you can come and ask me later. Right? And Jesus says, no man had ascended up to heaven except for the one who's come down from heaven. And then he says, the Son of Man, which is him, who is in heaven. You know, one of the reasons we read the KJV, and as far as I know, the only two versions of the Bible that translate this verse this way are the KJV and the New King James, right? Every other version doesn't say this. The ESV says, Listen carefully. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. NIV, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Did you notice something's missing? 
the one that says that he is actually in heaven at the same time. How can he be in heaven and on the earth at the same time? He's God. Can I wrap my head around to God? No, you can't. I can't. Yes, Jesus is God in the flesh. The Pharisees could not contemplate or accept such a thing. Despite the miracles, despite the teachings, despite the doctrines, despite all the testimonies of people. But when he died on the cross, he would draw all men to himself. And all the prophecies of God about him as Saviour would be fulfilled. All the prophecies of him as the Lamb of God. And so John 3.14 and 15 says this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. The children of Israel had sinned in front of God, and God says to Moses, I want you to make a brazen serpent, I want you to put it on a stick, and I want you to hold it up. He who looks up at that serpent and trusts me is going to be healed of well, they'd all been bitten by, by snakes and they were on their way out, right? And God says, well, if you hold up that snake, if they look at that snake, they're going to be healed. And so Jesus says, just like that snake was lifted up, he who looks on him and believes in him and trusts him and what he's done for us on that cross is not going to die, but have eternal life. And so... That's why Jesus says, I said, I said in, in John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And unfortunately they died in their sins because they could not accept that he was the son of God. The gospel we preach must point to the nature of Christ. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a, a good or holy man. He wasn't just a teacher of, of righteousness. He wasn't just someone who had been sent to give us a message. He wasn't just a martyr who gave himself. No, this was the Son of God, God in the flesh, who would come down to this earth to save sinners like us. And it's only in that, that cross, where a person can be cleansed of all their sins if... They believe that he is the Son of God and the Christ who has come to save us. The blessing of that passage that we read first up finishes with these. In John 8.30, And he spake, and as he spake these words, many believed on him. That's a beautiful way to end this sermon. God bless you. Thank you.